Today we're sitting down with Jeff Cohen, the CEO and founder of Sea Level Roundtable. Jeff has a book coming out in the month of June called Count on a Bull. We talk a lot in this episode about accountability and the word of being accountable or accountability being so obsolete with a negative connotation. And so Jeff is now coined Count Onable, and that's the name of his new book that's again coming out in June, where he talks about lifting, shifting and empowering people through really one simple tool, which is effective communication. Really look forward to reading this book and learning more from Jeff Cohen on this episode. Jeff, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Uh, excited really to, to learn about this new book that's coming out on Tuesday. I believe it's called Lift, Shift and Empower. So can't wait to, to hear about that book and, and read that book. Uh, also really interested to hear about your next level 90. You're a fractional C-level executive. I'm sure you've seen a lot of things over your years and a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs right now are going into a very interesting time. And I can't wait to talk a little bit more about really you know how you help entrepreneurs empower their businesses. So if you can, please walk us back just for a few minutes before we get to the current day present and what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about your background and history. I will. And I just want to add one thing. You, you read the subtitle of the book. The actual name when you search for it is Count Onable. Uh-huh. So I just want to make sure everybody gets that. Um, and yes, the subtitle. So it's Count Onable, Lift, Shift, and Empower You and Your Team. Um, and it's all good. And thank you so much, John and Rich, for having me today. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here. And um, just want to start out by saying I've been through a lot in my life. I've um, I started out um, very young as an entrepreneur. You know, a lot of kids they'll um, they'll sell lemonade on the corner, right? And I think I probably did that. But um, I remember a, a point in time when I started getting responses to my request, and suddenly I had these stacks of envelopes coming to my house. Like they were enormous. And what the request was, was, can you please send me some stickers? It's just that I sent it to every sports team in the United States. And I had a stack of stickers that would choke a horse. And so, you know, finally, when I stacked them all up and they were still coming in, I said to my mom, mom, you see that wall? I want to put them all there. And she said, no. So um, I was a little underwhelmed by the response. And, you know, I might have at that point said, well, can we put them on the car? But I didn't actually go there. So instead, I put them on my notebook and I took that to school. And suddenly my friends started saying, hey, do you have any more? Can I buy them from you? And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to make money selling these stickers. That's amazing. And I did. I made 50 bucks. So my dad said, Jeff, you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, that's amazing, dad. What's that? And um, I've kind of been living that ever since. So it's been a really amazing um, life from the standpoint of learning how to get to do what I love to do. And I've started six companies. One of them was a really fast growing software company. We grew from nothing to about 50 people um, in the early 2000s. Um, And, you know, had tremendous success until uh, the recession hit in 2007 when all of the banks pulled back and you know all of our customers were global 2000 and fortune 500 accounts at the time and they all said the same thing to us at the same time they said jeff we love you guys 
You are making such a difference in our business. And we're going to put you on hold for right now. So see you later. And um, every single customer. And so I had this controlled crash of my company and I went bankrupt. And it was probably the most difficult time in my life because, you know, sleepless nights, depression. I mean, I sat in front of Star Trek eight hours a day to escape. And what happened was I wound up pushing everybody in my life away and recovering from that was really difficult. In fact, you know, it's, it's the impetus to what caused my divorce. Um, it's what kept my kids from wanting to talk to me for two years. Um, it really sucked. And I just want to make sure everybody gets like, I don't tell these negative stories because like, I want to bring you down. I'm here to help lift you up. Right. The thing is though, is that I could tell you about all the success I've had and you'll get something from it. I promise. I know you will. It's just when I tell you how I failed and I tell you what I learned and what I did, that's a nugget you're actually going to be able to take into your life and what you do today. And if it's not you, you'll notice it in someone else. You know, when I was really depressed and sitting on the couch eight hours a day watching Star Trek, I had people trying to talk to me. I just wouldn't listen. God, what a difference it would have made for me to just listen and seek out some help, right? So, you know, like I said, guys, I'm I'm an open book. In fact, I wrote it. It's called Count Donable. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of short stories. They're all like three or four pages long, but they tell you why I wrote the book and give you the entire process for how to go from a culture that's trying to be accountable and having some difficulty with that to one where people are count honorable. And you know that. Jeff. Yeah, that's awesome, Jeff. I really appreciate you sharing that story. And uh, if, if I may, let me ask a few questions in that. And I'm, I'm absolutely uh, a proponent of the fact that, you know, successes are fun to hear about, but where the real, the rubber hits the road is where those deep, 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 deep learnings happen. Sometimes are unfortunately unfortunate events that you have to take the most out of and, and squeeze the lemon on that because that's really where things change and things evolve. Um, walk me through, if you can, for a second, what was the software company? What did it do? So we were um, at the very, very early stage of agile software development. And I had a partner that had co-authored a book on an agile process. Now, um, we both had worked for this software company that got bought by Borland. And Borland, when they bought this company, and they also bought another company at the same time, decided to let go of the entire professional services staff. Now I was on the sales team and I knew without professional services, no one would be able to implement what we sold. So I turned to Mac and I said, hey, Mac, what do you think about starting a services company? And he said, well, I got nothing else going right now. So sure, why not? And I used to call him the accidental entrepreneur because, you know, he just came along for the ride, but he made a tremendous impact in our ability to not only staff up, uh, but be able to service customers. And it was back in 2003, um, again, early, early internet. And um, 
everyone was doing the cool names with no spaces in the middle and ours was process exchange. And without a space, there's something that makes that name stand out. Sex change, right in the middle. <laughs> so our very first call was from Borland. They called me up and they said, hey, Jeff, you know that sex change company? Can you connect me with them? And like, I knew we had the right name ever since. And the only issue was we were blacklisted by a lot of our customers. So we had to fix that. Uh, outside of that, it was all good. The, um, Hold on, let me, let, me, let me just ask, maybe you're getting to it. So I'm not sure if I fully understand what an agile process services software company does. Can you, can you bring it down a level for me? Like what exactly did it do? Yeah, let me dumb that down. It's really easy because I know it can sound really technical, right? So large companies and small companies, they all write software, Yeah. right? At the time, the prevalent method for doing it was you gather all the information that you need. We called them requirements in order to write a program. Then after you have that, you start writing the program. That's called the waterfall method. And what happens is you spend, you often see organizations spending six to 12 months gathering information and then another six to 12 months writing the software, and then they release it. And it's two or three years after the concept. When that was happening, what was happening is there was this big disconnect be between the users of the software and what they needed and what was developed because over time, things change. I mean, we're experiencing that today with business. So what I essentially have done over the years is I've learned how to hone that skill of being agile into business. And really this count honorable process and method that I'm patenting right now is it's an agile business management method. It gives business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, um, and business executives a model that enables them to be flexible and shift with the current. In our, our pre-conversation, John, you were mentioning something about, well, what, did, what does everyone do today when we're in a questionable period about a recession? Yeah. Like, what are some steps we can do today? Well, I guess, you know, that's something that you definitely want to look at. I mean, now is the time, right? Yep. And so that's built into the program, right? You, you mentioned my Next Level 90 program, which is basically what I've documented in the book, Count Honorable. Um, but it's really designed to help people have the flexibility to be able to look at what's working, what's not working, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what threats exist, and what are the opportunities around those threats. Okay. So let me, let me just make sure I understand this correctly. There's multiple methods to which you can manage something, and particularly in software, you gave the example. There's the waterfall method. There's the agile method. Um, wh what is, what is the, the sprint method? Is that the next level down? Because Rich and I had a conversation recently about this, and I think I may have you know, messed up what agile means or didn't mean. So this is very timely because uh, we okay. just talked about this. Uh, but but is sprint like the method three? Well, so I think what you're talking about are sprints. Sprints, right? yeah. Right. So in one of the agile methods, there's the concept of a sprint. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Right. And so I think a lot of the agile methods, generally what they do is they say, hey, define what you're going to do, then go do it and come back. It's just define them in bite-sized chunks. Right. It's like, how do you eat a whale? Yeah. One bite at a time. Right. So, so a sprint would be whatever the period of time is that your method is defining. It could be two weeks. It could be three weeks. It could be a week. And then you come back and you look and say, okay, we completed, we didn't complete. And you get complete with where that particular um, period got you. Right. And once that's complete and you know, okay, we completed these tasks. These are the ones that are incomplete. You're able to be focused on delivering a unit of work that can now be tested by users. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Jeff, you had suggested very openly, which is vulnerable and appreciated, like, hey, no topic is off limits. Mm -hmm. And feel free to suggest you may be uncomfortable, although you've suggested you uh, are very open. But you said that you were depressed. And I think we've all experienced highs and lows. Mm -hmm. I want to know in your experience for the entrepreneurs that are listening, where's the line between feeling down and, Hey, I'm depressed. How would an entrepreneur know that they're in one versus the other? So first off, thank you for that question. That I think is a really important question. Um, because as entrepreneurs um, go, we all start something with the greatest of dreams. And then something happens. There's a pothole. We get a flat tire. You know, in my case, we had a software company that was growing very fast and it was a cash machine. And um, boy, I'm telling you, when all of those companies came to me and said, we're going to put it on hold. I just went into survival mode. Oh my God, how are we going to live? Right? Um, I think something for people to look at, and when you're in it, it's really, really tough, is are you able to sleep? You know, you've probably heard people say, what keeps you awake at night? Hey, look, you know, there's a lot of things that can keep you awake at night, but wondering if you're going to make payroll tomorrow. That's one of those things, right? And if you're constantly having that experience where you're wondering, you're not sure, it's not working, whatever is really keeping you awake, you know, what happens is you go into, not you, I, I'm going to speak for me because like what other people's experience is, is that, and I don't want to discount it because there are a lot of ways people could experience it. What showed up for me was I couldn't sleep. So I was always tired. In addition to being always tired, I really just wanted to run away. I felt shackled by my business. This thing that had brought us so much excitement and joy and built this amazing team and was generating all this cash wasn't actually generating cash flow. And it hurt. 
Um, so it impacted my ability to think straight. Now, at the time, I had five executives in the company that reported to me. I had two business partners. Yet I was the founder. I was the guy that had initially taken the big step. And I took it on that it was all on me. Boy, what a mistake that was. There's not a single soul in that business that didn't want us to succeed, but I wanted to look good. Keep that in mind. You know, the thing is, is that it's really easy to want to look good, but you can't get help if you're always looking good. And you've got to be able to open up and tell something on yourself. Had I just said to my team, hey, guys, listen, I have some, some tough news. And I need your help. And been open to some conversations. I know they'd have been there for me. Instead, what happened was I wound up not treating them the way that I would have wanted to be treated. Um, not handling the the breakdown of our business failing in a way that worked, hurting a lot of people, um, uh, being depressed, pulling away from everybody that cared about me. It sucked. It really sucked. Sounds like it. Thank you for sharing. That's deep, real stuff. I picked up two things and I'd be curious if there are others that if you had to do it over again, that you would do differently while you were in the state of feeling depressed. The first thing I picked up earlier in the conversation was you talked about that you didn't listen and you wish you had. And then I just picked up from what you said that you would have been more transparent with others on your team because they would have and could have helped. And you removed the opportunity for them to help by not exposing what the problem was. So is there are there other things in addition to those two things? When you're talking to our entrepreneur audience and someone out there may be feeling depressed, and if they're not today, they may in the future. And from someone who is very open about that you have had that in your life, what is the calling for them to do? Is it just, hey, listen and engage people who can help? Or is there more to it from your learning? You know, I think the most impactful thing um, is really two steps. First off, um, at some point, because it may not be the first time, somebody is going to say something to you. Right? I invite you to be open to hearing it when they say, hey, dude, you're not doing so good. You know, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk to someone? Now is the time for you. People are looking for you. You're missing. Like I got all of those things from, from people around me. And I just wanted to run away. I mean, there's a reason that the tagline for my company, C-Level Roundtable, is no business stands alone. Because I went through some real shit in my life. And I want to make sure people have access to the tools 
to get through that. So they don't have to feel like it's all on their shoulders. Because guess what? It's not. If you started a business and you've got people around you, it's not all on you. And you may feel like as the business owner or CEO or executive that, you know, being vulnerable to someone is a bad thing until you try it. So you actually one-on-one have a conversation and tell on yourself. But I want to let you know that if you're able to get to a point where you can be vulnerable with somebody, they want to help. They know who you are and what you're capable of. It's just you've forgotten. You know, you might have this imposter syndrome going on like, oh, no, I, that's not really me. I did that. It's not true. But I did it. Like it's back there all the time saying, hey, wait, I wrote this great book. I've helped 300 companies, blah, blah, blah. And then the question is like, well, am I good enough? Of course I'm good enough. I've been doing this a long time. You are good enough at something or people would not have joined you. <laughs> Thank you for that. You had you used the words it was a controlled crash to bankruptcy. And every, again, every entrepreneur goes through ups and downs emotionally. They also go through ups and downs financially. There are inevitably going to be struggles. And there's a time when there's a struggle that the entrepreneur should fight, 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 fight. You got this. And there's a time that you experience when an entrepreneur should say, it's time to stop fighting. It's time to file for bankruptcy. The fight is over. How does an entrepreneur know where that line is on, hey, have some grit, get fighting. So it's tough. So you're having a hard time on payroll. Join the crowd of entrepreneurs. How do you know the line of that to motivate yourself to, you know what, really? I'm better to hit the restart button and work my way back up in another business. You know, that's a great question, Rich. I think it's a struggle that a lot of um, young startups have um, because, like, they'll invest money in their dream and they're locked into their dream. and. You know, when it's your first one, you get really attached to that dream. So it takes something to learn, right? Um, You know, like I said, I've worked with 300 companies and some of them have been solopreneurs. Some of them have had hundreds of employees or thousands of employees. And it's usually in the smaller organizations when they're, they're doing something in the startup world that they don't necessarily have the wherewithal to know that it's time to stop. And in that space, it's different than in a larger company, right? In the small space, they're usually dealing with whatever their last dollar is, and that's when they're going to stop, right? Um, And, you know, I remember having one of my entrepreneurs in, um, in the program she had this amazing travel business and it was um, started during the Obama presidency. 
um, she was taking people to Cuba. Now, Cuba was opening up during Obama and she was having great success and she was bringing tours to Cuba and people wanted to go and they were like really, really awesome tours. And then um, when Trump took office and he began shutting down that relationship, she kept on investing in her business. And um, I remember she was about to launch, I think, a $20,000 promotional campaign for her tours. And it was in um, toward the end of the year that year when President Trump had pulled all of our diplomats from Cuba and kicked all the Cuban diplomats out of the U.S. And we were in our meeting and um, I said to her, I said, so what do you think that's going to do for your business? And she said, oh, we'll be okay." Again, you know, really connected to what she had as a dream. So I I spent some time really looking at it with her. And it was in that hour that she realized and cried. Like, oh, my God, my business is done, isn't it? But she saved $20,000. Like she didn't put that into promotion. You know what she did with that? She figured out how to start an Amazon business, created a product in China, import it and sold the hell out of it, became number one in the category. So it's about, if you're an entrepreneur, it's about being able to figure out, okay, well, if something's not working, at what point does it make sense to stop? Because the the odds of recouping your investment and making money and having a profit diminish. And if you're a larger company, odds are you have some ongoing business that's either mature or maturing, and you're looking to add new products and services in. So how much of an investment and a risk do you take there? And I think it's going to be very individual based on the risk tolerance of the company, the alignment of the new services and the products, and what the strengths and weaknesses of the current team that you have is and what you'll need to build. Yeah, Jeff, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I want to dive into really this next level 90 and what you're doing today. But before we go there, um, Rich and I have the very fortunate opportunity of, of close to 100 episodes of this podcast. And it just seems like every time we get on with somebody, we connect with them one way or another. Sometimes Rich connects more, sometimes I connect more, some, but we always learn and meet incredible people who are doing great things. I could tell you um, so much of what you're talking about is resonating. Uh, at a very deep level for me. Uh, As an example, uh, in 2008, we had a customer in one of the companies I was with that uh, went bankrupt that owed us a quarter million dollars uh, because of what was going on in the the economy. And I can vividly, I'll never forget it, that sleepless night that I had, uh, how am I going to make payroll this week? And and, you know, we talked about payroll tomorrow, uh, been there. Uh, and in that particular case, you know, we were able to muscle through and get through and we were able to, we, we were able to survive that, that particular recession, but those sleepless nights, you know, really resonated with me. Right. And, and how that affected me. Sure. Um, however, uh, later on in my life, uh, you know, built a company, uh, over 17 years, very large company and, uh, lost it. 
And uh, I don't have to get into the details of why or whatever happened. But at the end of the day, uh, I wasn't vulnerable. Uh, it, it affected me. You know, uh, I've never had uh, anybody that I know closely has lost a child. But I had people who were like, you just lost your child. Like, this is your, you know, this is going to affect you. Um, and I took a year of sabbatical. And um, it was very... Uh, uh, enlightening for me to, you know, go through that experience and all the learnings that had to come from that particular experience at a very, very deep level, a lot of thought, a lot of uh, talking to people, a lot of just trying to figure out digesting what just happened. Uh, because there's a lot of things that in your story too, maybe I wasn't vulnerable enough. Maybe I should have slowed down when we would not have grown so fast because my dream was too big to grow it too fast. And there's a whole bunch of things that in retrospect is like, you know, what I could have changed. And the one thing that um, uh, if I added, you know, a third element to you, you, you need to listen, you need to be vulnerable. Like the one that that really helped me a lot, and I'm assuming at some point came to you as well, was this concept of perspective. You know, uh, I still had my health. I still had my family. I still had my friends that were close to me. Um, I, I still can create new things. I am good enough. I can't. Whereas there are many people in other areas that, that are sick or dying of cancer or have different situations. And I was able to give myself perspective to go, you know, poor me, um, you know, what am I going to do with this? And that, and that perspective side uh, really has propelled me forward and has become a little bit of a basis of when I do talk to people who are going through a tough time uh, is probably where I start, which is, yes, I understand you just lost this customer. I understand you're upset. You need some perspective. Uh, of of what you know what's going on in life in general did, did that happen to you as well at some point well so first off um i really want to acknowledge your journey you know john i i don't think people really get what it takes to go through building losing building losing right and the grit that it takes to be able to choose to move forward um i also want to really acknowledge the time off like, I think that's a great way to, to clear your head. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, when they go through something, they, they're not in a position where they can take the time off. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah, really you. great. I think perspective is a really interesting um, uh, angle to look at it from. I think even more than having a perspective is having it validated. So you may have a perspective, but you're not necessarily hearing your perspective. It's your self-talk, right? Um, one of the things that's um, a really big piece of what I do is focus on effective communication. And, you know, I think one of the things that's often missing for a lot of, a lot of folks is, um, is they don't get like what effective communication is. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, is that we all have a different definition of what effective communication is. So I would really invite people to um, start embracing what their 
view of effective communication is, and maybe also be open to hearing a, another definition. I mean, one of the things I've defined inside of, of the program is what effective communication is. And I'll just tell you, it's my definition of it is knowing that what you said has been heard and then the person that's heard it is able to demonstrate their understanding of it by repeating it back to you. Now, um, I have a really short story in my life that defines, I think, effective communication at a very visceral level. I'm going to share it. Um, my wife and I are fostered to adopt parents. We have this beautiful one-year-old girl. She's amazing. We went to San Diego to visit with some friends. And my wife and her girlfriend, um, they had an event to go to. So my friend and I took our, our two kids. He has a seven-year-old. I have a one-year-old. Took him in the wagon, walked him down the street to dinner. After dinner, walked over to frozen yogurt. We're about at the frozen yogurt shop. And I turn my head and I look back and I see my one-year-old standing in the wagon, holding the side, and she has tears in her eyes. She's afraid. Because at that point, she's not able to sit safely. And I said to the seven-year-old, after I said stop, picked up my daughter, comforted her, put her back in, I turned to the seven-year-old and I said, hey, honey, I'm just curious. Did you notice that she was standing and afraid? And she said to me, yeah, I told you. And then she went back to playing her video game. I said, hey, I have a question. Could you do me a favor? If that happens again and you tell me, could you make sure I answer you? And she did what a lot of us do today. She said, got it. And then she went right back to playing her video game. Now, most of our conversations end with got it. Like, okay, great, they've got it. But the curiosity part of me keeps going because I'm not sure she got it. So I said, hey, honey, um, just curious. What'd you get? Now, I watched her stop playing her game. For 15 seconds, she was looking at the screen. And then she picked up her head and looked at me and she said, oh, you want to make sure that I hear you answer me next time. I said, that is amazing. And if you do that, I will be so grateful. Now, a month later, we went to visit again. And now my daughter was going to play with the seven-year-old and her friends. And I said, hey, do you remember that request I made last time? She goes, oh, where if I tell you something's wrong that I need to make sure I hear you answer me? She got it. She really, really got it. That was a seven-year-old. Now, we all have this gremlin in our head that while I was telling that story, you were thinking about an ineffective communication or bringing your clothes to the laundry or doing the dishes or something else. That was there. I'm sure you heard a little bit of what I said or maybe all of it. You just may not have been committedly listening. 
And that message may not lock in. And that's the impact of ineffective communication. And that's why organizations are not aligned. And trust, which is regularly falling out, falls out. Because what happens is people are always looking for the chink in the armor to say, oh, Jeff said this and is doing that. Oh, Jeff is this and now we're that. They're looking for something inconsistent where the integrity is compromised. And those are the concepts that you've really got to focus on if you're going to have people that grow in your business, that love working for you, and love their jobs. So, Jeff, I want to, I want to come back to this. <clears throat> um, wow, a lot there. I love it. I absolutely love it. We, st- we kind of went down this trail by you saying you need to have your perspective validated, right? Uh, I just want to come back to, after we've gone through the effective communication, what is it, the different definitions that people, you have to be open to other people's definitions, that, you know, that your definition is knowing what you said to other people is being heard, but that they can articulate it back to you, uh, what they're being heard and they're committed listeners. Um, hopefully that's a demonstration of committed listening <laughs> there as well. But how, how can one have their perspective validated? Can you give me an example? Because I'm not sure if I know exactly what you mean by that. Well, you know, you've got a perspective about your situation, right? Yeah. It lives in your head between your two ears. It's bouncing off of the walls in your head. That's your perspective. How do you get it validated? John, tell me your perspective. And I'm committedly listening to you. Tell me that. And then what I say is the same thing I say when I suggest people work on their communication skills to be effective communicators. And I say, hey, John, so what I heard is boom, boom, boom. And I share that back to you with an understanding of the commitment you have toward your perspective. And that takes something to you know, hone and get good at over time. When you do that, someone actually feels heard. And when you feel heard, you can let something go that's bothering you. Mm. But if no one's actually hearing you, what happens is you'll generally get frustrated. And frustration is not good for the soul. It doesn't cause you to move things forward. A lot of people dig in their heels. There are a lot of reactions that people have when they're frustrated. So, you know, we, um, we're going to kind of move into like talking a little bit about the book because I've actually, like I've worked with hundreds of companies in the last 20 years, some very large, some solopreneurs. Like I really have jumped in and done like the hard work with people. And what I've typically found is it doesn't matter if you're with a big company or you're starting something on your own. If effective communication does not exist in your world, then it's impossible for people to be aligned and trust will not be there. Let me ask you guys a question. You ever had a job where like, what you did catered to your strengths. You were really, really good at it. 
and you love doing it? Yeah. What would you call that job? I didn't call it a job. <laughs> right. It's like, it. yeah, it's it's like your um your fantasy, right? Yep. Like it's it's the best thing in the universe. I will do that every day. Now, if if you've got a job like that, right? And it's your dream job, when are you gonna leave that job? Never. Right. So here's the thing is that we actually don't set people up to have that long-term. They start out being interviewed for a role and you decide you want to hire them. They're going to be perfect. You know it. They want the job. You know they want the job. And that final interview comes around and you say to them, hey, John, can you also do the dishes for us? Now, I don't know about you, but it's not my thing. It's especially not my thing when my wife says to me, hey, honey, can you do that clockwise instead of counterclockwise? Like, I mean, just that does not work for me. Um, but we do that. And now we've taken that A hire that we're about to make. And we've just created them with a B job. And they're going to begin disappointing you from day one. And eventually, you're going to label them as a B employee because they're not doing the dream job that you wanted them to do in the first place. Wow. What being countonable does for organizations and individuals is it gives them all a framework to be on the same page and be confident and comfortable to be able to say, hey, guys, look, you can count on me to be on time, to be engaging to share till the cows come home so people really get the stories. But you can't count on me to do the dishes. And from the organizational standpoint, acknowledging, right? There's no penalty for you not doing the dishes. What it really just means is there's probably a bunch of pots and pans jobs like that that I have. If I could just roll that up into one job description, and find someone that loves doing all that, that that's their dream job. Boy, is that a win or what? Sounds like one of the things that needs to be done is to create an environment where an A hire can identify that's a B job for me. And just to be clear, that is removing energy from me when I do that. I don't think I'm going to be great at it. If I have to for a short period of time, I will because I'm a team player. But there's a there's a certain environment that has to be created that allows an employee to be able to say that. And I think that comes back to effective communication where they feel that they can say that and be heard. Uh, I would 100% agree with you. I think that if you look at accountability as a word, most organizations want that. It just gets an awful rap. Last night, you probably heard it on the news if you watch the news. Someone was being held accountable, right? Boy, what a constraining situation that is. You ever have someone tell you, hey, you're accountable for this, but then it doesn't get managed. So accountability requires two people. 
There's a person that's being assigned the accountability, and then there's someone that's going to manage it. It's just most organizations don't have an effective method for managing the accountability. Being countonable is something that I can just be, and I take pride in it. And I can tell you when I know what I'm countonable for, because I will tell you this. A lot of us know what we love doing and what we're good at. We just don't know that that's what we're countonable for. And more importantly, we don't know to say no or make sure people get we're not countonable for other things. And we don't have the confidence to say that. So what you're talking about, Rich, is culture. And countonable is a process and method that helps an organization shift from a culture that's got accountability as a priority, um, where it's generally not working the way they want, and people are not aligned, and the trust is falling out, to one where you've got trust, alignment, and people that are empowered. And if you remember back into the 80s when Ronald Reagan was president, famous speech he gave with Mikhail Gorbachev when they signed the SALT Treaty, which basically he said, hey, Mikhail, we are going to trust you that you're going to remove all these nuclear weapons. And then we're going to go ahead and send in all of these teams to verify that it's been done. Well, you know, a flaw that I see in the system today is a lot of executives and business owners don't want to be considered micromanagers. So they do a lot of the trusting part. And the way they verify is three or four weeks later, they pick up the phone four o'clock on Friday, right before the long weekend and say, hey, Rich, is it done yet? Why isn't it done? Now, what they've just done is they've made you defensive. You're back on your heels. You've been triggered. And that just does not work. By the way, you might be talking to a customer on the other line or working on a project that you were just, you know, is mission critical, like whatever that is, right? So the book basically gives you the step-by-step -step process that tells you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Meetings, for example, there's a, a very simple short list of the meetings you want to have. And then what are those meetings for? How do you use them? What are the um, tools that you need to use during the meetings? Like, for example, we talk about people's uh, areas that they're countonable or not countonable for. We're actually giving you the ability to build a database of that. Like, you know, these are the tasks that Jeff can and can't do. So the next time one of those comes up, why are you asking Jeff? Right? It's, it's the kind of thing that saves an enormous amount of time, like weeks and months get saved in getting things done. Hours a week get saved by learning the triggers people have. And as the manager, business owner, CEO, looking at how you're triggering people. Like I've got these two um, partners that are clients of mine, and they are amazing guys. When I started working with them about four years ago, they, um, they have very distinct and different personalities. One of them is a type A driver. Like 
he's awesome, nothing gets by him, he jumps on things. The other is very type A, but he's more around marketing operations, not sales and, and all of that. And, you know, when the, the CEO gets frustrated with him, you know, in the past, what it looked like is he would yell at him. And then the COO would kind of go off and, you know, be AWOL for three or four days because he got triggered. And now he's got to work it out in his head and get good with it and move forward. And when we trigger people, like I get triggered all the time when someone just asks me a why question in just the right tone. Could be my wife, could be someone I'm working with. Um, when we trigger people, now, if you're me, I'm going to waste a good 20 to 30 minutes telling you why. If you got five or six reports, that's two to three hours a week you're going to waste if you do that. And then they're going to leave that meeting. And for the next three to five days, that conversation is going to be rolling around in their brain. And it's going to impact their performance and productivity. Listen, this is not hockey. It's business. We don't put people in a penalty box. When we do that, all of that stuff that you want to accomplish, your milestones, your business objectives, the profitability you're aiming for, you kill that. And that's why when my book comes out on the Amazon page, you're going to see the title of the introduction says, accountability in the workplace is dead. It really is. It does not work. And if it's working for you and you're profitable and you're happy and you have all kinds of time and like you don't have any meetings on vacation when you go, save yourself five hours and 34 minutes. You don't have to read the book. Jeff, thank you for all of that. So much wisdom in that. Uh, before we close, I'd love for you to give a plug to Next Level 90 and not just give a plug to it as in sell the concept uh, to sell a book, but give a plug as in give, a, give an ounce of value of it that somebody may be able to do something with and feel sure. free to entice us to want more uh, before we wrap up. Hey, thanks, Rich. So first off, Next Level 90 is the program that Count Honorable is is basically written about. All of the steps, all of the graphs and charts that you'll use in the program are in the book. And so feel free to download them and make use of them. You can do this on your own. And if you want help, we certainly can help. Next Level 90 is just a very simple structured program that helps you envision what your future is. We get lost all the time. So now we're going to create a game plan. And in that game plan, you'll see what you want. Not like 10 years down the road. Like that's a dream. What do you want in the next one to three years? And then what are you going to do in the next 90 days that moves you substantially in that direction? And how are you going to align your team? So in the next 90 days, what they do helps you meet your milestones. That's what Next Level 90 is. And if anybody is interested in learning more about it, they can go to the countonable.com website 
and I'm just going to spell it so people get that. C-O-U-N-T-O-N-A-B-L-E.com. So come there. We have links to all of the you know, graphs, charts, even the first chapter you can download there, which is called Grand Theft Auto. And I'll just tell you, it's about a time I stole a car and found my very first trigger in life. So come download it. It's a fun three or four pages to read. Like all of the chapters are three to four pages. You can pick the book up five minutes at a time. Um, and I really invite you to do that. And, and um, uh, if I think this, uh, this episode is going to launch probably in June, it sounds like. So we've got a really cool Kindle version um, intro coming out for under a dollar. You can grab that. If you miss it, I'm sorry. Uh, it's still worth the $9.99 on Kindle that we're going to charge uh, after. But we're doing this promotion because we want to help people really get like what it is to be count onable and how accountability is obsolete. Jeff, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom and uh, offering so much that you did today. I know we got a lot out of it and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Hey, thanks so much, Rick. Thank you, John. It's been such a pleasure being here. And I just have one thing I want to say to end. Stop just being accountable. Be count onable. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. Effective communication is required for alignment and trust. It seems so simple, John. Like, yeah, uh, of course it is. But it wasn't just that. It was one of the things that he did is share with us a key to doing that, which was validation. And the word committed listening, I've never even heard of the term committed listening, and I love it. And validating back what you heard so that someone can know they've, that they have been listened to uh, and the necessity of that to require alignment and trust. Yeah. Listen, the world is filled with distractions, especially our youth with, you know, not even just the youth, everybody with their iPhones or, you know, tons of distractions. I could tell you in, in my own personal relationship, um, I think my wife has learned over the years the need to validate <laughs> with me because there's been so many times I'm working and she's at, she's saying something and it's like, it never happened, you know, in my mind, it just never happened. She told me she's going to the store five minutes later. I'm texting her going, where are you? You know? Uh, and so we've learned with our communication, she has to do it to me more. Than I have to do it to her, but you know, she would ask me, did you hear what I said? And I'm like, Oh, what, what, what did you say? <laughs> you know? Uh, and so that validation is so important, but I think more importantly, it's the culture within your organization that you set to be count onable versus accountable. You're accountable for this. You're accountable for that. Someone goes to jail because they were accountable for that. Right? It's such a negative connotation versus, Hey, Rich, this is what I want to be count accountable for the Entrepreneurs United podcast. What are you going to be count accountable for the Entrepreneurs United podcast? And we, and we kind of get that clear within our organization and we respect what each other is going to bring to the table where we can be A players and not give an A player a B-level job or a C-level job and then wonder why they're not an A player. Why are they now a C player? Uh, so I really love the positivity, the twist on this negative connotation of accountable 
and switching that saying, that's obsolete. Let's get that off the table. It's countonable. I love the fact that he has countonable.com. I think it's a great concept. I think it should catch on, but it's all about the culture of what you're trying to create to build the organization you really want. Agreed. It's the first time I've ever heard giving an A hire a B job. Yeah, me too. Everybody talks about an A player. Nobody really talks about a B job. And I think that's a different way to evaluate why we may be getting B-level performance from people. It's not because they're a B player always. Sometimes it's because we may have given them a B-level job and it's not what they're skilled at or passionate about. Maybe what our organization needs, but they may not be skilled and passionate about it. That would be a B-level job potentially for an A player. Yeah, no doubt. And if we come to the story, right? Uh, Rich, we, you know, yes, 2008 was a recession. Sound like it impacted Jeff and I in different ways, but it impacted us. COVID hit. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs were heavily impacted with that. Uh, there's a lot of fear and paranoia right now in the market that we're going into a recession, maybe even a bigger depression type of level uh, of economic crisis. Um, and we're dealing with mental health right now uh, across the globe. But I know in the United States, it's a massive issue with with youth, with entrepreneurs, with anybody. It, it, it's an issue. And so I really love the fact that we're able to open up in that conversation and say, look, what's the difference? You asked a great question, right? What's the difference between... I'm struggling in my business, so I'm a little sad right now, or I'm frustrated with depression. And I love the way that we talked about it. To me, I broke it down to three things, right? Like, listen to people that want to help and be open to hearing what's going on, which leads to the, the, the uh, open up vulnerability component, uh, which to me then connected to me personally, which is also have perspective. Take some time for yourself, have perspective. And I love what he added to it was have your perspective validated because we all struggle with this empowerment versus imposter syndrome he talked about. And, you know, we are good enough. We do have a lot of good things in our lives, but sometimes we take this one nugget of our life that just we had so much hope for that didn't work. It could be a relationship. It could be a company. It could be financial. It could be anything. We take that one component and we let it, you know, take our perspective away from everything else that's going on that's great in life. And you need that validated. So to me, there was a, a great moment there to just really talk through because uh, a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, are going to go through tough times. You need to know how to get to the other side of it. One of the things that's actionable that I heard and I love is at some point, somebody's going to notice that you're not doing so well and they're going to mention it to you. He didn't say this exactly, but the person who mentions it to you cares enough and is close enough to you to take the risk of mentioning it to you. There are a lot of other people that may have noticed it, but this person took the time to say, it doesn't look like you're doing so great. You okay? The person who does that, that is a sign that you should open up to them. That's a sign that maybe there is something to talk about, to not play the best foot forward game. In Jeff's words, to not have to play, I wanna look good with that person. Tell them the truth. We can enroll others around us to help us, and we don't need to go it alone. To Jeff's point, no business stands alone. <laughs>